All right, well, welcome, everyone. If you are new to Legacy, I want to welcome you. I want to encourage you after the service to stop by the Welcome Center and get any of these resources we have for you to grow in your faith. There's uh, Bibles, we got prayer journals, and all sorts of devotionals and other material if you would like that. Uh, I also encourage you to um, uh, ask us any questions you may have about the, the, the barn uh, progress that Brian was mentioning as well as other opportunities this summer to join a team or join a group, whatever that may be. Well, I flew back from Alaska yesterday with our team that was, was there on a mission trip. We served with a, a church in Petersburg, which is uh, south of Juneau. Uh, it's in the what they call the southeast of Alaska, which is super disorienting for me because we live in the southeast of the lower 48. But for them, they had that long string that borders Canada along the coast, and that's where we were serving, a fishing island. And so I, I wanted to give you just a quick update on that because it's fresh in my mind. Last Sunday, I had a chance to preach. I actually woke up, so there's a four-hour difference. So I woke up uh, at 5 a.m. that time. It was 9 a.m. here, watched the service here. Uh, I was texting a few people and stuff. And then... I got the chance to preach there as well, and so I have a, a picture uh, just of that because I had it, um, I, I don't know, I screenshotted from the YouTube video that they have. I sent this to the elders, and they said, it looks like you're saying I caught a fish this big. <laughs> Coincidentally, a few days later, I did catch a fish uh, a little bigger than that. They had, uh, it was King Salmon Day. That was the smallest of the of the salmon we caught. We we caught a bunch, boxed it, and brought it back with us on the plane yesterday. And so I'm gonna eat some of that, hopefully, today or tomorrow, and have a good time there. Sorry, I don't have enough for all of you, but it's a true wild caught Alaskan king salmon, right? So it was a great time of serving alongside with that church. I'll tell you all, it was surprising how similar their village is compared to Green, specifically Standardsville, and the, the town there and just the dynamic. All of you would just be able to roll right in. It was, it was pretty funny how many of them look like Neil Lamb. Like just, they're all, they're like carrying a fishing pole everywhere. Um, everyone drives a truck. Nothing is ever, like their trucks aren't locked or anything. They all have a boat. And I was thinking, this is hilarious. This is like, this is completely Neil's like ideal town. And <laughs> so you would enjoy it in so many ways. And I think we're gonna do a, a mission trip update here in uh, maybe a couple months after everyone gets back from all the different locations and as, a, as a, several teams will come together and we'll describe more for you all then. But I wanna thank you, those of you who helped uh, get me and our team out there. It was a great time of encouragement to their pastor and their staff and their church and serving alongside them. It was refreshing in a lot of ways as well. So uh, with that said, uh, today we continue in our series in the book of Proverbs. We're going different topics at, at, at times, sometimes verses. Today is a topic. And I want to begin by sharing, this stood out to me the most about five or six weeks ago, right when we were starting the series, I had a chance to go down to Liberty University for a college reunion. For me, it was like a 15-year, but for most of the guys from my dorm, it was a 10-year. I didn't realize I was the old man of the group. And so we're coming together, and it was a wonderful chance just throughout the weekend. About 30 of us gathered out of about 100 that we reached out to 
who were all in this same dorm over the course of like four years. So everyone's there, we're hanging out, talking, swapping stories. It was a really refreshing chance to get up on the mountain and all that kind of stuff. Well, what stood out to me the most when I was driving home, I was thinking about this, uh, Colin Lynn telling her about this. It was surprising to me how impactful those friendships were from college and how they shaped even who I am today and these other guys. It, it, it's like in, in the moment, it just seemed like we were doing college life. But I'm so thankful that we had good gospel memories, like good stories of the ways we serve one another over the community or mission trips or just be able to do life together all those years. I'm thankful I don't have a lot of regrets uh, with that time period of my life and that we were able to celebrate what God has done in our life. So we're all coming together. Most of the stories were exciting and joyful and fun, people having kids left and right, but some stories were pretty sad and tragic in other ways. And we were able to, to share all that with one another as if it had just been uh, the day before we had left school. Everyone had gained about 50 pounds in college. That was pretty funny. We're all like, we're all like rocking the dad bod and uh, all that kind of stuff. It was a great chance to come together. But I was surprised by the, the role our friendships play with one another. And I'm thankful I didn't burn those bridges. Not that I needed to, but I'm really thankful God protected me from... Uh, saying stuff or doing stuff that would have made interacting with them awkward. Instead, it was a celebration and fun. And that leads me to our discussion today. You, you, it might be unexpected for you, but scripture has a lot to say about friendship. And it's a, it's a topic I, I don't think I've ever preached on. Uh, when I think about friendship, it feels a little corny, a little bit like Toy Story, you know, you've got a friend in me kind of stuff. Michael W. Smith, like friends are friends forever, you know, kind of all that. Um, you know, it's, it's, I just, you know, I think of even like Nemo, right? Fish are friends, not food, you know, whatever it might be. You just, like friendship sounds a little strange, but we're in Proverbs and it's all throughout Proverbs. And you start to find the reality is we have an interaction with God that is described as a friendship. And we have an interaction with one another uh, as brothers and sisters in the faith, as well as people uh, living on earth together. And God has given us friends for our good, and he's called us to be friends for other people's good and, and our own as well. So we get to look at a great topic today. I'm actually surprised how much is in scripture on this topic, and I believe it'll be uh, challenging and also clarifying for some of us. So let us, let us begin. As we look at the idea of friendship. I have for us two different theological underpinnings for this, like things that you won't get in a TED talk or you won't get in that book, uh, How to uh, what, Make Friends, Win Friends, and Influence People. And, um, so, and, and that, those can have good content, particularly if you struggle to um, make friends. But there is, a, there is a biblical basis for friendship. And then we're also gonna look at three different lessons on what what we can draw from this, all right? So the first underpinning for you, like the theology here, is that friendship is a component of the natural created order. So remember that God made Adam and Eve in the garden. We see this in the book of Genesis at the beginning, and they were created not solely to procreate and also uh, cultivate the garden and, and be a people, you know, a, the human race that would, you know, work the land and become a people, 
it wasn't just that, but also companionship. If you recall, God brought Eve to Adam, actually made Eve out of Adam's rib, but then brought her to him. And they are, they become one, and they are uh, friends. They literally are companions. It is not the phrase that is there, and I use this all the time in weddings when I'm officiating them, where, where God says, it is not good that man would be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. And so God created this component. Now, sometimes companionship, uh, sometimes it culminates in marriage, but most of the time it, it doesn't. Like literally, you're, you know, you're married to one person at a time, usually, unless you're kind of in different belief systems where they're married to a lot of people. But usually you're married to one person at a time if you're married. And, but most of the time, you know, you're friends with other people and you're not married to them. And so friendship it expands beyond just a marriage relationship and it involves multiple people. And God has given us one another to guard and to protect and to encourage one another. So listen to some of these Proverbs here and a few other verses. Proverbs 17, 17. It says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. And I think we can understand how that works, particularly when you are in a season of hardship. God uses your friends to uplift you, to encourage you, to bring clarity when there is confusion. He, he gives you those people who can help you. God uses you as well to be that friend to others. Right? As we talk through all this, it's very relatable. It's both what you're receiving and also what you're giving. Proverbs 18.24 says it this way, A man of many companions may come to ruin. But there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know, God does give us lots of people that could be acquaintances, a church our size. You know, we, we can know one another. We can encourage one another. In the same way I was able to be in Alaska, pray with people. I got to preach with, you know, to them and everything. There's a, there's a kindred spirit among those who are followers of Christ. And you can kind of jump across different countries or languages and still worship with one another. But there is only a handful who God may bring to you who will be close friends. If you look at the life of Jesus, he had 12 disciples. And even among those 12, he had three closest friends. This would be John, James, and Peter. And we look at that often as the, the missional components, right? Jesus was discipling them, like this rigorous development of these fishermen to turn them into champion missionaries. But there's definitely a friendship component that was true over the course of years as they did life together. Well, God gives us those few friends uh, through different seasons of life. Ecclesiastes puts it this way. This is a good verse as you think about marriage or those who might aspire to be married, but it also relates uh, uh, you know, beyond that too. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12 says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who's alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. I'll pause there real quick to say, this is so relatable for us. If you are in a spot where you need help, literally like in a physical situation, I don't have some fancy illustration here, but if you were to fall down a hole, goodness, I hope you have somebody there to help you get out of it, right? Throw the rope down, pull you out. Well, this verse, it continues. It says, again, if two lie together, they keep warm. This is, this is more appropriate in a marriage relationship, if I'm gonna, you know, if you're wondering. Don't be all shady and use this to try to <laughs> convince your 
girlfriend to sleep next to you in the cold. But it says, again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. And then a threefold cord is not quickly broken. All right, so we see just this first, I'm calling this like underpinning, that this is part of God's design. This isn't just some happenstance social development. This isn't like a humanistic component in which, hey, people just figured out how to, how to do this for their own good. But this begins with God, God's glory, his design for us. He's literally created us to be people to interact. I think that's a helpful component that you don't get in, again, like a, a, a popular works that will just say, hey, you know, we want to have friends. So you know, we see God's creation behind this. Secondly, we see friendship as one of the goals between God uh, and us. So something that God has created that we should have between him and us is this idea of friendship. Have you ever viewed God as your friend? This is probably an area that I think will challenge us as we think through this. And I don't see a lot written about this. I haven't heard a lot preached on this either. Uh, and uh, it could be because most people struggle to view God as a friend. But think about some of these verses, particularly as you take them as a whole. So James 2.23 says, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. There's all sorts of words you could use for this. You could say that he was in right standing with God, as Romans 4 literally says about this moment. But James uses that phrase, a friend of God. Now, there's some more like... Um, there's a component there where it's contrasting being an enemy to God, and that's what James 4, 4 says. I'm gonna read this. It says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So you, you kind of see these, this language. This is James, same writer, both of these sections, just using this idea of a friend versus an enemy. If you are a friend with the world, you're an enemy of God, and the inverse can be, uh, you know, here in which you, if you're a friend of God, uh, then you're like an enemy of the world but without getting all militant about it. And so is God your friend? Do you view him that way? Uh, are you his friend? I think that's another way to look at this too. Again, when it comes to friendship, we're usually thinking about ourselves and our needs and how, you know, we don't have friends and we wish somebody was a better friend and, and all kinds of, but how about, how about you? Like what's your response to people? What's your response to God? If he is your friend, are you, are you his? You know, are you practically? I'm just, you know, going off the top of my head here. Are thanking him for being present in your life, a friend to you, an encouragement to you? Are you cultivating a, a, a relationship with him? Or is it all just one way in which you're just, uh, well, I did this, but it's more like yeah, one way. In where you're just throwing stuff at God, but you're not really, like, allowing him to, uh, I don't know, just, just wanting stuff from him. So there's an element where God is our friend, but interestingly, I, I think I can make the argument. I, I, I'm going I'm to attempt to make the argument, but I, again, I've never read this from anywhere, so there's a chance that this isn't like, uh, there's a chance this is unnecessarily technical, uh, like getting into how the Godhead works, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and how each one is a friend to us. I've never like heard anyone talk on this, and there might be a reason for that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk us into that. 
And, and just to challenge us again, I, when I say technical, what I mean is it, sometimes it's not helpful to break down the Trinity and look at each of their roles in our relationship when it comes to certain topics, and this might be one of those. Sometimes it's easier to just say, hey, God's our friend, we love God, and I'm just gonna lump it all in there. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we're just like loving him, and he's loving us. But let me, just because there are specific verses on this, I think we can argue that each of these persons of the Godhead is a friend to us in a unique way, and we can be a friend to him in a unique way. For instance, let's take the Son, Jesus Christ. John 15, 15, Jesus is with his disciples and he uses this language. He says, no longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So Jesus specifically uses this language of friends and he does use it in a way that's a little different than how we often use it. Usually we think of it like a fishing buddy. Jesus is going deeper than that, saying like, describing this trust among them, this commitment, I would even say a covenant commitment to one another that is unique. Um, But because of this, Jesus does describe this language of friendship again. Uh, Two verses before, John 15, 13, he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This kind of sacrifice, he's describing literally his own relationship to his disciples, and that actually carries into us as well, in which Jesus laid down his life, and he says he's laying down, like there's nothing greater, no greater love than someone who lays down his life for his friends. So Jesus viewed this relationship as a friendship among several other elements. So it's interesting. There's kind of a dual relationship. Jesus is, he's our savior. He's our Lord. He is the king. He's also our friend. Okay. Well, that's, that hits a few different areas of our hearts. Interestingly, because I'm talking about Jesus' sacrifice, think about Romans 5, 7 to 8. It says, for scarcely, or for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All right, so in our sin, Jesus died for us. It's describing how, hey, people... They, they might die for somebody who's righteous in the, in the world's eyes, like somebody who deserves to die, to, to die for them, but not a bunch of sinners, not a bunch of those who are um, deserving of God's wrath. They're like, nobody does that. Well, Jesus did. And Jesus died for us as sinners. And a moment ago in this, you know, John 15, I was reading, he also describes that relationship as friends. And so Jesus is a friend to us, and I would argue we should be a friend to him. Now that looks a little different than the disciples who literally were hanging out with him, eating food with him. It's a little strange to have like a empty chair at your table and say like Jesus is eating with us. Sometimes, you know, you can do that. Um, It's a little kind of strange if you have your neighbors over and you do that. But I I can understand where you might come with that. But there's a relationship there, a friendship there with Jesus. I, I would say there's also a friendship with the Holy Spirit. When you read on the Holy Spirit, if you were to read books on this or... Uh, chapters in, in theological works, a lot of authors use this language of friendship. The, the, they'll say, you know, Jesus is my uh, ultimate friend, but this, the Spirit is my best friend. They have this God indwelling us. And one verse we have to describe this is John 16. It says, but in fact, uh, verses seven and eight, 
but in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Jesus is saying this. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. Advocate could also be counselor, um, or others will even say your friend. It says, if I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of coming judgment. There's an element of friendship in which our best friend, the Holy Spirit, living and dwelling within us, his, one of these roles of friendship that we see even in human relationships is somebody that will be honest with us, tell us truth, even if we don't want to hear it. And the Holy Spirit's that's part of his role. He does it in a loving and true way. So the Spirit has a component of friendship. And then also the Father. Again, I, I read it a moment ago, but James 2 uses that language where it says Abraham was called a friend of God. So I think we could argue, but it's not really necessary. But since we're talking on, on this, I wanted to dig into that. As you think about uh, even Abraham and, and God the Father, probably of the three persons thinking of your father is the most difficult because so many people have a um, tumultuous relationship with their earthly father that thinking of their heavenly father as a friend is a challenge. But I would say, you know, most healthy parents uh, are, are, they recognize the value, the long, you know, the long life that the Lord allows you and your children to live like, you know, for decades Hopefully there's a friendship that is there, a genuine one. You know, you parent, you parent honestly and truthfully and gracefully, uh, especially when they're little. But as you get older, hopefully there's a friendship there. In fact, my parents, they are moving to Ruckersville in a few weeks, which is amazing. They, uh, my dad retires from ministry in the end of July, which all these years. I've only known him as a pastor. <laughs> so he retires and they're going to move here and... Uh, I would suspect they probably wouldn't move here if there wasn't a friendship that they have toward us as children. My brother also, one of them, he also lives in the area. And so they get to be near us. Uh, we didn't strain that relationship. If we were, um, as we've got older, if we were uh, consistently mean to them, I don't think they would want to move here, right? So there's a friendship component. Anyway, so... Uh, in the same way we have that, like with earthly fathers or mothers, I think we can argue that our Heavenly Father aspires to have that friendship and that we can have that with Him. Right? So, Trinity, we are friends with God. Also, as I mentioned a moment ago, God created friendship. So with that said, what does it look like to be a friend? What does it look like to develop friendship? There's, there's three lessons from Proverbs regarding friendship I want to get into. They're actually... They kind of overlap, but I'm going to break it down for us just a little bit. So the first is this, that friends shape one another with their words. As I walk through these verses, think about how your friends have shaped you with their words. And also flip it around again, because we tend to just think, at least I do, I think like how people have impacted me with their words. And I'm not very honest to think about how I've impacted others with my words. And so it goes both ways. So friends, they shape one another with their words. Proverbs 27, verse 9 says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad. I guess you could, uh, you could say soap and body wash, right? <laughs> they make the heart glad. Yes, they do. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. There is uh, a joy and a gladness behind the wise, earnest counsel of your friends. 
1 Thessalonians 5.11 in the New Testament says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. And another verse similar to this, it says Romans 1.12, it says, That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. In the New Testament, over and over, there's language that encourages us, exhorts us, urges us, and actually commands us to speak words, literal words, or I guess texts, you know, that are uplifting and strengthening and encouraging to one another, and not the alternative, which would be uh, being disrespectful to one another, being gossipy toward each other or about each other, or whispering and all that kind of stuff. Proverbs 17.9 says, whoever covers an offense seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates close friends. You know, there can be a separating of friendship, particularly when those around you are not strengthening, but instead are uh, whispering lies about you. Now, as I think about the role that words play in friendship, James 5, 19 and 20 comes to mind as well. It says this, brothers and sisters, if anyone should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back. Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Now this verse, obviously, it, it, you know, there's action to this, but saving a sinner from their ways involves literal words. You know, explaining to them what you're seeing, explaining to them what needs to happen and what that can look like. I actually thought of this verse Last week, when we were in Alaska, the Coast Guard did a demonstration of a rescue. I have a picture for you that I took. I took a bunch of videos and stuff of this, too. This was surprisingly uh, insane. Because this kind of portrayal is in movies a lot, documentaries, YouTube videos, that kind of stuff. And I see it all the time. But watching it in person, we're like, stuff is flying in your face. And you're right there. And how uh, delicate and how tense and even the... The fierce sound of the helicopter, everything. It was like, wow, this is, there's a lot that goes into a rescue. And it made me think of friends that, that need that. And it made me thankful uh, for those who spiritually rescued me at times in my upbringing. Uh, lastly, here, when it comes to the words, I think of. Proverbs 27, 6. It says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. You know, your friends, they will tell you the truth, not just what you want to hear. Good friends will do it with grace, and they will do it after a lot of relational investment, you know, so they're not just telling you your, you know, your sin. We can do that all day long to people, but they actually know you and that kind of stuff. This is, uh, again, commonly seen in a in a healthy marriage relationship you know the person that is in the same bed as you you know they know you and there's a mutual conversation there there's a trust there even if they are to say something that that stings but you know it's coming from a good place uh, but that can also be beyond just marriage so when it comes to words what words do your friends express you know like are you around people whose words are just disheartening and discouraging and tearing you down. This is very relatable for those of you who are in high school or middle school or college in which you surround yourself in these social groups 
I mean, now if some if I'm around that, I can just be like, um, my kids need something, you know, I just use them as my excuse to get out of that situation. But you may be in a spot where you just surround yourself by people whose words are discouraging and not uplifting and, and not helpful. And how about you as a friend? What are your words like? How do they how would you characterize them? All right, so first of all, friends, uh, their words impact you. Secondly, friends, they influence one another with their lifestyles, right? So we have words and we have action, um, statements and, and lifestyles. So our friends, they do influence us and they, they shape us perhaps far more than you think. Spend enough time around them, not just their words, but their actions too. It starts to trickle into you. I heard this phrase years ago. I was in college, actually, and I'm, I remember it. It was like the first day of undergrad, and Jerry Falwell Sr., reading us a line, he's up there with this booming voice. This guy's super tall, and he's like, I can show you your future by your friends that you make. And I was like, huh, I don't understand how that works but I'm excited to learn. <laughs> anyway, it's true. I've seen this time and time again. Show me your friends and I can show you your, your future. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. That's a phrase that you could use. That could be a tweet. That could be in a book. That could be, again, like some trending video. This is literally scripture describing this. Proverbs 22 verses 24 and 5. It says, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. This isn't quite friendship, but it feels appropriate to say here. There's a lot of movies that portray this kind of a man, one who is given to anger or one who's wrathful. And, uh, you know, when I was younger, I used to watch just a whole whole array of movies. I have learned that I don't even like watch stuff like this because I think, you know, I don't, that's not a lifestyle that I want to emulate. I don't even know why I'm totally telling you this, but like there's a lot of movies that like, like whether it's an assassin or, you know, an action hero or something. And it's like, yeah, that's not, um, that's not something I need to watch. And I think that's a, a valuable part of this too, just what shapes you. Uh, Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Time and time again. I, I will tell you as a testament, I am who I am in part because of your friendship to me over all these years. I've lived here now for 10 years. And while I can't totally track it, quantitatively, you know, because I, I, I went this, this direction and not that direction, so it's hypothetical, the other direction I could have gone. But if, if this church family was like a toxic mess, I would be in a different place emotionally and relationally than I get to be where people have been loving and strengthening and helpful in running the race together. As you think about this component of action and friendship, I love the description of David and Jonathan. You guys know in scripture you have King David and then you have his, his King David's nemesis is Saul. Well, Saul has a son named Jonathan and David and Jonathan are best friends. Uh, it's, it's an amazing portrayal actually of, of friendship. And 1 Samuel 20 has, 
if, you, if you're curious, I'll just read the whole chapter, but two verses stand out. It says, so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord call David's enemy to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. There's more that plays out later in this story of their friendship and how they even cared for one another, how David cared for Jonathan's line after Jonathan and Saul died in, in battle and David took over the throne. But we see this portrayal of those two. If you want to view yourself as David, my question to you is, uh, do you have a Jonathan in your life? Or maybe flip it around. Uh, are you a, a Jonathan to somebody else? Job 6, 14 is an interesting statement that I, full disclosure, I don't remember reading this as I've read like the Bible and I discovered it in, in prepping this sermon. But it is interesting. It says, he who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. And I read through that chapter, and in context, it is pretty accurate in how it's describing it. We have a role. We have an obligation to give kindness to our friends and not forsake the fear of the Almighty. Along this idea of friends and how their actions impact us, my question for you as parents of children who are in your household is what kind of friends do your kids have? One of the best things my parents did growing up was they were vigilant in guarding those friendships. And the few folks who were, who were bad eggs, they, they were um, very diligent to uh, uh, like terminate those friendships. And uh, they were specifically girls that I shouldn't have been of, I shouldn't have been um, chasing after. But they, that's a balance, and I totally understand the balance, particularly for us as Christians. Here you want to be friends with everybody. You want your kids to, to learn uh, discernment. You also want your kids to be godly witnesses among all sorts of friends, those who are Christians, those who are not. We see this in our youth group all the time, you know, youth group, yes, Christian kids coming together or discovering Jesus Christ and also being aware and kind of balancing just you want to be a people in a Bible study for all people, but also is there a situation in which there's a person that might be tearing down the whole group or in a family dynamic, you know, and addressing that, it's so delicate. I'm not here to say there's like this um, blanket answer for how you resolve it, but I will say I'm very thankful to my parents for how they, they were aware and they stepped in and they were protective of us as children over what, um, not so much what friendships we formed, but definitely they were just aware of it. I guess you can ask them about that when they move here <laughs> if, you, if you want. Proverbs, last proverb on this topic is Proverbs 12, 26. It says, the righteous should choose his friends carefully for the way of the wicked leads them astray. As this, and that's the New King James Version. A lot of other versions use it differently. Once in a while you have Proverbs and their statements are like, it could be translated one of two ways. So this is the alternative way in most translations, but it's there nonetheless the righteous should choose his friends carefully. 
there is value in being aware of who you are, I say like giving your heart to and receiving from others as well. There can be, again, acquaintance level friendships, but those deep friendships, we must be cautious. And so qualities to look for in a good friend would be, are they prayerful? Do they give biblical encouragement? Are they service-minded, as we might see out of Philippians 2, 4, looking not only to their own interests, but also to the interests of others? You know, is there that kind of a other-centered mindset? So a question for you here, or two, is what lifestyle do your friends exhibit? You know, what kind of actions and all that do they exhibit around you? And then as a friend, what lifestyle are you living out to others? All this is applicable both in your friendships, like among us as a church, and, and work friends, and neighbors and a lot of siblings and all that kind of stuff. And also the friendships that your, uh, if your kids are in your home, what they are, what they're having and, and how, you're, how you're guarding that. The, the last, the last uh, lesson we have here is that friends serve the Lord better together. They serve the Lord better together. Again, I think about Jesus and his disciples. He's serving alongside with them maybe more specifically or a better example would be Paul and Barnabas. Then you eventually have Paul and Silas and they go and they serve together. Jesus sent people out two by two. He didn't just send them alone. And there is a value there. I think there's a great principle there. Some of that involves you're able to pray for one another regularly or daily. You pray with one another regularly and daily when you're serving alongside. You're involved in one another's lives. You're building those friendships similar to when I was at Liberty, we, were, we, we didn't know this, but in hindsight, if I could go back, I said, you are building friendships with decades in mind, not just for this moment and not just what you can get out of that person and not just to, I don't know, for this semester, but God could be forging friendships that will last or at least be present for decades in your life. There is a, there's a great value in doing ministry with your friends, and I think that's a big way that you can maximize Christian friendship. If you're hearing all this, you're thinking like, I just don't really have friends, or I, I have friends, but maybe you just moved here. That's a big one too. You know, when you move to a new town, starting new friendships that are local and not just by Zoom or phone call, it can be difficult. And so if you're looking to, to form some friendships, one could be getting into a group, a small group, a Bible study, and get to know other people. There may be that God would supply somebody there who will be that Jonathan to you. A, a, a recommendation I have for you is to pray for that, to pray for a friend that can walk with you in the storm. Very similar to Elijah, God brought Elisha. And yes, that was a mentee relationship there, but there was also, and Chuck Swindoll writes about this and how they were friends and God used Elisha to support Elijah in ministry. So you could get in a group. Another way, you could be on a volunteer team. When you serve alongside other people, you get to know them, and you can forge those friendships. And then lastly, serving on a mission team together. You know, the team I just came back from with Alaska, we were all closer, and not just with gospel memories, although there are those, and those are very important, but even just an actual, an actual friendship. I, I got to know people I didn't know very well, and I got to uh, entrust to them some things and, and vice versa. And there's something valuable there. So again, just three of those lessons here. Uh, friends, they shape one another with their words. Secondly, with their actions. And then thirdly, is that friends, they serve the Lord better together than separately. So let me ask you some of these like 
you know, as we conclude here. Actually, Andy, you and the team, how about you come up here to, to lead us in this last song. As they're getting ready, here are some diagnostic questions you could ask yourself. Uh, am I cultivating friendship with God? Like, are you cultivating that or are you just trying to receive from God? Are you actually trying to stir that within him? Uh, and I would say that, that that's like praying to God, spending time with God, talking with him, being honest with him. The things that you would do with, you know, the person next to you, do that with the Lord as well. Uh, among your friends, how would you assess your words and your lifestyle and your uh, mission involvement with them? When I say mission, I mean like the Christian actions, Bible study, serving, mission trips, etc. How would you assess your um, actions? And then also, how would you assess their actions toward you? If you are in a friend group that is consistently tearing you down, this is particularly true for those of you who might be um, brand new to the faith in a toxic situation, and God is trying to strengthen you, and all you're doing is getting knocked down when you go back, uh, you know, you walk out of the doors here. There could be a chance for you to have to... Uh, modify your time with some of those friends, but that's, that's a delicate thing. You can talk to Neil about that. <laughs> and so the friendships, you know, how do, would you assess that? And then I do want to encourage you, just kind of as a last note here, perhaps it would do you well, and I'm going to do this actually this week. I'm going to reach out to Pastor Gabe from The Point and send him a note, because uh, they hired me 10 years ago. I started July 15th, 2013. And uh, I'd encourage you to uh, send, uh, like, a, I have a phone call or, or write a letter or something that's, you know, beyond just like a text. That's not that meaningful. Reach out to those who have been friends to you or are friends to you now. And I encourage you to thank them for how God has used them in your life. They could be Christian friends who were just solid and godly and, and, uh, and God has or is using them. Let them know that. They might even be non-Christian friends. Well, we know friendship's part of the created order to say, God brought you. You may not believe in God, but God has used you to support me, to encourage me, to spur me on. And I actually know God now. I know the Lord. And um, I would, once again, explain to you why I would love for you to know him as well. So whatever that may be, perhaps the most simple action step would be to write a letter to those who are closest to you and to thank them. So let's uh, let's pray. And then we'll